Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. Uh, as a pastor here for um, almost nine years, or eight and a half years, I've had the unique opportunity to be able to, to be able to meet with people who are thinking about what, uh, and processing what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is Christianity all about? One of the things that we've, we've strived to do is create a church that you feel comfortable bringing your, your non-Christian friends. Like that just really, really matters to me. That really, really matters to us. Just creating a space where if, says nobody, some, if somebody has no context for what church is about, or if they maybe got hurt by a church experience or experience with a Christian at some point in their past, probably they're, they're kind of really nervous about coming into an environment like this. But we just tried to create this space where no matter where you are in your, in your spiritual journey, no matter what step you're on, we just, you are welcome. And because we've created an environment like that, I've gotten a chance to talk with lots of people. Some of the people that, that you've invited to church, they just have questions about Christianity and they're kicking the tires and they're like, what is, what is following Jesus all about? And so I've been in this unique place to be able to just try to explain, okay, so here's, here's what we believe and here's why we believe what we believe and here's what it means to follow Jesus. And I know that you've had those conversations too. And this next verse in the book of Mark, um, we're in this sermon series, uh, just walking through this, this gospel of Mark. Jesus is about to share something so, so helpful for us. Jesus is about to share something from these verses in Mark um, that are so important for you to communicate people, to communicate to people who are curious about what it means to follow Jesus in your conversations. I know sometimes those are, those are uh, we get nervous sometimes with those conversations. Like, what do I say? What do I do? Jesus is gonna help in, this next, in these next verses, help us with some of these, some of our communication with others who are curious about what is, what is being a Christian about? Uh, for you parents, this is gonna be helpful for you because as parents, you want to, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming or I'm hoping you're trying to pass on what you believe about the world to your kids and they've got questions as they should. And, and so you, you're wondering, okay, how do, I, how do I explain following Jesus to my kids? That's a really important task and we just, we wanna do it well. And Jesus is gonna help us a little bit with, with, with your process in doing that. How do you communicate to your kids about what it means to follow Jesus? Uh, so I'm talking to a couple of different groups of people in the room. So for those of you that are Christians already, you're followers of Jesus, then I hope that Jesus's words are going to help you in your next conversation when, when somebody asks questions about what it means to follow Jesus. For those of you who aren't Christians, you're in the room. Listen, you are. we're so glad you're here. We know it took a lot of courage for you to come. And maybe, maybe you've pushed away from, from Christianity because you had, you, 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 maybe you have some beliefs about Jesus or about the church or about whatever that, that aren't, that aren't exact, that aren't really what, what Jesus is all about. And so I can't think of a better place for you to be tonight, uh, to, uh, to be in a place where, where Jesus's words are going to maybe clarify some things that you've believed about following Jesus that, uh, that isn't, isn't like at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. I think that would be a really great thing for you to walk away with tonight. Night, just to be able to ponder and think about, um, because these words that Jesus is going to share with us are so so helpful. Um, when I when, when people hear about Christianity, um, I think I think 
people often, um, let's, let's, I want to frame it tonight in, in with, with two simple games that I know that everybody, everybody knows. Okay, when people hear about Christianity, I think sometimes they relate it to these two games. The first game is, do you guys know the game Simon Says? All right, everybody knows the game. So um, let's try it out right now. Simon Says, touch your nose. Simon Says, touch your ear. Simon Says, touch your elbow. And touch your other elbow. Uh, some of you, I got you. Uh, you know, you got to say Simon Says first, right? And here's, 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 we all know that game. But I think sometimes when people uh, hear about the invitation to become a Christian, many people think that they're being invited to play a game of the Bible says. That's the game that they think that they're being invited to play. That what they think, what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that God gave us some rules in the Bible. And so here's the name of the game is we're just all supposed to know the rules and then we're just supposed to do what the Bible says and we're just supposed to play this big game of Bible says. And like, oh, that's what it, that's what it means to be a Christian, right? That's what a lot of people think. Here's the other game is, the other game is uh, anybody poker players in the room? Uh, there's, uh, you know, Texas Hold'em is kind of like the, the gold standard for, for, uh, for poker nowadays. But back in the day, it was five card stud but five card draw is probably the one that most people know. So five card draw is the one where you're, you're given five cards and then, and then you kind of look at your cards and you, you think like, um, I like three of them. I don't really like these two. So I'm gonna trade these two in and hopefully get two better cards and make a really good hand, okay? So that's, that's, if you're unfamiliar with five card draw, that's what five card draw is all about. And I think sometimes when people hear an invitation to become a Christian, what they think is that they're playing kind of a version of five card, five card draw, meaning that they kind of look at their life and they, some of it's good, but like, oh, I've got some bad habits, you know? I've got some things that like, I need help. I mean, nobody's perfect. You know, that's what people would say. Nobody's perfect. I mean, I got some good stuff, but I got some things that like some bad habits and some things that I would just love to trade. And so what people think they're, they're being invited into when they become a Christian is they think they're playing a game of five card, five card draw, which means I've got my existing life and some of it's pretty good. And so I'm just going to trade in some of my bad habits and get me some Jesus. It's going to get me some religion and the, and, and you know, my life plus a little Jesus is going to, oh, then things are going to be better. Like now I'm going to, you know, things will be good. And, you know, he'll, Jesus will answer my prayers and Jesus will give me the American dream. You know, and we think that, that what it means to be a Christian is that we'll just kind of trade in some of my bad habits, get me a little religion, and then like my life will be better. And I have the suspicion that when people hear about becoming a Christian, what most people think is that they're being invited to play, the Bible says, and a little kind of game of five card draw with their lives. In other words, we could say it like this. To summarize, I think, and this will be up here on the screen, when, when people hear about the invitation to become a, become a Christian, many think that they're being invited to become religious. We hear this word a lot, religion. And what I just described, like kind of, you know, like just playing Bible says, and then, you know, just getting rid of some bad habits and trying not to do those and just getting me some Jesus and then my life will be better. That that's what a lot of people think just that, that that's what religion is. And so when people hear, do you want to become a Christian? A lot of people think that what they're being invited into is to become religious or to become a religious person or a church person or, you know, however they would, however they would say that. Another, in other words, another way to say it is when people, this is also on the screen, when people hear the invitation to follow Jesus, they think it's really just an invitation to follow some rules. That's what they think. 
I'm just, I'm being invited to kind of take my life. And if I just add some of these rules and I follow them, then God will like me more or something like that or some version of that. And, and then my life will be better. And so that's what people think that they're being invited into is just following some rules. And here's what you know about following rules. And here's what I know about following rules. And here's where some of your friends, maybe that grew up in church, if they thought that that's what Christianity was all about, that it's just about following some rules, that that's what religion is about. That's what Christianity is about. That's what they want me to do is they have a special set of rules and the Hindus have a special set of rules and the, and the you know, Islam has a special set of rules and Christianity has a special set of rules and Christianity claims that those special rules are gonna make your life better. So maybe I'll just, I'll just do that. If, if people think that what following Jesus is all about is just following a set of rules, then what you know about that and what I know about that is that after a while, like it, it, it starts to feel empty. Because now you're just kind of like following rules for, because, because there's some rules. And maybe you had this experience when you were a kid. You, were just, you weren't explained like why, why there would be rules at all. Like where all those come from. You were just taught to play a game of, of by, the Bible says, or you were taught to play a game of five card draw. And after a while that gets, just gets really empty. Now you're just like going through the motions. And, and then now it's like this, exterior thing, but not this internal transformation thing. And that's been the thing that probably you've been most frustrated about, 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 about religion. And that's what some of your friends, that they're, they're really frustrated at that. It's just like this outward thing. And, you know, they're frustrated about all that thing. And what if, what if, what if Jesus wants to step into this space and Jesus isn't trying to teach us a game of Bible says, and that he's not trying to teach us a game of five card draw. Like what if Jesus is trying to do something new? What if he's trying to give us something better than those two games? And not that he's like giving us a new game. What if he's replacing just all of the world's games with something new, with something better? That the invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to just follow some rules. What if it's better than that? That's what Jesus is going to talk to us about in these next two verses in the book of Mark. And Mark, in the book of Mark, Jesus is going to make a distinction between what it means to follow him and to follow rules. There's a distinction. And this is an important distinction for you to understand as you are having conversations with people who are interested in following what it means to be a Christian. Because no doubt, probably what they think initially is that this is all just a system of rules that you're supposed to follow. And how in the world are you going to explain to them that following Jesus, it's new. Like it's, it's better. It's better than that. We're in this book of Mark. And uh, most scholars believe that the book of the gospel of Mark, the first, it's the first eyewitness account of Jesus that was put down, that was written down. So it's the, the, the uh, it's, you know, in, when you flip to the, your Bible in the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But even though Mark's second, kind of in the order, most scholars believe that Mark was written first. Um, we know it's written by this guy named John Mark. You can read about kind of what some of the things that, that he did in the book of Acts. But um, 
he was, he was, uh, he followed Peter. Remember the apostle Peter, you've heard about Peter. John Mark followed Peter everywhere. And Peter was like kind of on the inside, right? Like Peter was an inside guy to, to so many things in the life of Jesus. And so what we know about the book of Mark, it was probably penned around between 50 and maybe 65 AD. So it's just a handful of years after Jesus has walked the earth and after he died on the cross and he rose again. And most likely, uh, John Mark is, is writing this down, but Peter is probably right there with him, and they're having this conversation. And Peter is, is kind of dictating to John, to John Mark, like, you know, like, hey, this happened, and this happened, and oh my gosh, I remember when this happened. So it's probably, most scholars believe it's kind of this collaboration between these two followers of Jesus, these eyewitnesses to all sorts of incredible things. And, uh, and so it's written down for us because it's an eyewitness account of what's, of what's happened. And, you know, we've, we've spent already, I think, eight weeks in the book of Mark, and we're just in chapter two because there's so, so much. Um, and, uh, and so let's, I'm just going to continue on with the story and we'll kind of like retrace some ground that we've already, that we've already covered. And then you're just going to see what Jesus is about to do when he starts to make a distinction between what it means to follow him and to follow rules. What is the relationship between those two things? So important for us to get. Mark chapter two, starting in verse 13. Here's, here's what he says. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Uh, this guy, Levi, we, we know him as Matthew. He's a tax collector. And this guy, his name is, is, is also Matthew. And Matthew is the one that writes down the eyewitness account of, of one of the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is the same guy, Matthew. And he was a tax collector. Now, you've been around church long enough. You, uh, you've, heard, you've heard kind of how dubious tax collectors were. And, and if you're new, you just got to know, tax collectors were hated in those days. They were despised. I mean, they were traitors to their own people. I mean, it's like... It's like they were in with the mob kind of, and then they're like traitors of their own Jewish people. I mean, this is just, they were despised. Nobody wanted to hang out with them. And here comes Jesus and he knows, he knows Levi's story. I mean, he knows what Matthew is all about. And he walks up and he looks at Matthew and he says, follow me. Now, you know, I wish we could have seen, uh, you know, uh, James and John and Peter, like some of the other disciples. I, I wish we could have seen their faces because they would have been appalled that Jesus was walking up inviting this guy to be a part of their team. They're like, Jesus, we don't want him on our team. Like, no, we do not want him on our team. And here comes Jesus inviting him onto the team. I mean, they're just appalled. They're like, well, I mean, gosh, I guess, like, I guess he's on our team. And I wish we could have seen what happened in this next little part, because now Levi, he says, he says, yes, I'll, I'll follow. So he gets up and I just imagine Levi saying, uh, Sweet, Jesus, I'll follow you. So like, where are we going next? And Jesus looks at him and he's like, well, I thought we'd, thought we'd go to your house. <laughs> he was like, my house? And Peter, James, and John are like, his house? Like, no, we don't want to go to his house. And, but that's where Jesus wants to go. So in the very next verse, it says this. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So the story just gets worse for Peter, James, and John because they're like, oh, we don't want to go to his house. And they get to his house and it turns out Levi, maybe like before he went to the house, he, uh, he headed to the grocery store first, you know, to pick up some provisions. And then maybe he headed by the office 
to talk with all of his tax collector buddies. He's like, guys, you won't believe who's coming over my house. Come on, all of you, drop what you're doing, let's go. So he invites like all of his other tax collector friends, Peter, James, and John walk into the house and they're like, what is this? I can't believe that we're here. And so they're there, you know, and Jesus is having a meal with them. And in those days, like eating with someone was a, was a, form, was a sign of like, it was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of like, hey, we're, we're connected in a beautiful way. That was like this, that was part of that culture. And so Jesus is making a huge statement by doing this and not everyone's happy. Not only are Peter, James, and John probably a little bit suspicious, but there's a group of people called the Pharisees that are really upset about this. And here's what happens next. Verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, and these are a group of people who were very religious, they're very devout, they had a certain idea of what it would mean when the Messiah would come and make all things right. And, but they were very good at following rules. And that's really key to understand with this verse. They were really good rule followers. The Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. And they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. And I, and I feel like Jesus probably put like air quotes around righteous at this point. You know, it's not in the text, but I feel like Jesus probably would have done that. I'm not here to call the righteous because Jesus isn't saying that like there's righteous people and, and sick people. He's saying like, no, like I've come to save all of humanity. He said, I'm not come to call the righteous, but, but sinners. And guys, Dan Stecker did a, a talk just on this um, three, three weeks ago or so, and it was dynamite, dynamite. So you just got to go back and listen to that. So helpful on how did Jesus treat people? That's how we should treat people. So I'm not going to spend time on that. I'm going to move on. Next verse, here's what happens. Verse 18, now John's disciples, and the John that he's talking about here isn't, is John the Baptist. Um, the book of Mark started out with this guy, John the Baptist, and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and it's kind of a strange character. But John kind of had his own disciples, and John was trying to point people to Jesus because now the Messiah has come. That's what kind of John's job was to point people to this, the, the real king that's come. But John's got some disciples and the Pharisees, um, and so here's what they ask. They say, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So they're asking this question that they would have completely understood, but it's kind of lost to us a little bit. But the, for the Jewish people, there were certain times of the year where they were supposed to fast. And that means, you know, you kind of abstain from eating food. And it's, and it's you know, we don't have time to get into the kind of what, what fasting is all about this afternoon. But, you know, it was one of those things that they, it was one of those, these disciplines that they had a part of their life. It was, it was you could call it, it was one of the, one of the rules that, that they followed. It was one of the rhythms that they followed. And there were certain times of the year that the Israelites were, were supposed to do that. But here's the thing about the Pharisees is, they were really good, and we are good at this too, actually, is they were really good at, they had some rules, and then they were really good about making rules about the rules, about the rules, to help with the rules about the rules. Like they were just really good at just creating rules upon rules upon rules. And so they're asking this question, and people are asking like, hey, so like the Pharisees are really good uh, rule followers, and they believed, like so many people believe, they believed in that day, just like what people believe in our day, that they believed that God loved the best rule followers best. That's what they believed. They believed that if you were a good rule follower, that God loved you most. 
And so they're like, Jesus, this is confusing us because the, the Pharisees, like they, they're like really good at following rules. And then John's disciples are, are, are fasting, they're following rules. So why aren't your disciples good at following rules? This is essentially like what they're asking. They're, they're trying to kind of get a gauge on who's holy and, and who's, who's the most holy. Now, um, this is a little bit, I, we would see this and we see this as being a little bit weird. This should give us a little bit of a clue as to how, why they're off on this. Because obviously we know that God doesn't just love the rule followers, the, the, the best rule followers best. I mean, we kind of we know that. Let, let's put it in other terms. Let's put it in this terms. Do your, for those of you that have kids, and even if you don't have kids, this will this, uh, work for you. Do your kids become your kids only when they follow the rules? No, because then you would like never have kids, right? <laughs> Do your kids become your kids only when they follow the rules? Like I've got these kids and as long as they're following the rules, then I will, then I will accept them as my children, right? No, like that is, that is it's just so weird. That's a weird, weird idea. Um, or is it that first one, which is obviously wrong, or do you give rules to your kids because they're your kids and you love them? Right? I mean, that's why we give rules to our kids. I give rules to my kids, not because I love rules. I give rules to my kids because they're my kids. And even when they don't obey my rules, they're still my kids. But I give them rules because I love them and they're mine. I don't give rules to your kids, right? Because they're your kids. They're not my kids. All right? You should have some rules for your kids. But you should, it's because that they're yours. And it's because you love them. That's kind of how it works. So in other words, if we could say it in another way, the kids aren't for the rules. The rules are for the kids. You hear that? The kids aren't for the rules, meaning like we don't, it's like they don't exist to follow our rules, like, or they don't belong in the family as long as they follow our rules. That's not how it works. No, 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 the, the rules are for the kids. The rules are good for the kids because we love our kids and because our kids are ours. So, so we all get that. But they're confused and they're like, they're, they just didn't understand this. And so that's why they're asking like, who's holy? They're like, hey, it seems like John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples are like varsity. And Jesus, it seems like your disciples are playing JV. And so that's confusing us. Like, we, like it's not, it's not, you know, we're, we're not, I, I, how, how come like your followers aren't following rules like these other people are following rules? And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered them. Verse 19, he says, how can the guests, and Jesus would do this all the time. He's like, they're asking him a question and then Jesus starts talking about weddings, you know, just like, just randomly. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. This is so brilliant because Jesus has taken them right to a wedding and he uses the illustration of a wedding to make his point. Now, what we know about Jewish weddings, they're not like our weddings today. Our weddings today last like, I don't know, six hours, maybe, maybe like if there's like a really sweet party afterwards, you know? Jewish weddings lasted like six days. I mean, it was just day after day of just, it was a celebration. And Jesus's point here is really great. He's not saying it's, it's bad to fast. He's not saying like, oh, don't follow rules. In fact, you're never gonna hear Jesus say like, oh, following me means like no rules at all. Like, you know, just do whatever you wanna do, free for all. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is like rules, the rules can be beautiful. Just like giving your kids rules is loving. It's, it's beautiful. But he, says, but he says, you've missed the whole point. He says, he says, it's not just about like following rules for rules sake. Like that's not why the rules exist. It's not just you follow rules because 
because there's a rule there. And if you follow it, God will love you more. He goes, no, no, there's a time and a place. And he takes us to a wedding feast because he knows that like, it would be the strangest thing. It'd be the strangest thing if you were at a wedding and it's a party. I mean, just think about just like a fun party, a wedding. And you know, everybody's on the dance floor and they're singing, celebrate good times, come on. You know, everybody's going for it over there. And then, you know, you look over here. Thank you for the clap, Jeff. I appreciate that. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, so like the dance party's going with celebrate good times, come on, you know, and everybody's going for it. And then you look over this person over here and they're like, hmm, I'm at a wedding. And you're like, bro, why, why aren't you on the dance floor? Well, you know, I'm, I'm fasting. It's just, you know, I'm just fasting. I mean, that would be weird, right? You'd be like, no, it's a wedding. Like there's really good food here, you know, like, I mean, that's, Jesus is trying to say, hey, there's a time and a place for the, the rules are good, but there's, but like, it's, it's not just rules for rule's sake is what Jesus is trying to say. And so then he says this, and he uses another illustration. He says, he goes on, he says, and again, again, he just talks about weddings and now he's talking about cloth and clothing. He says this, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. It's like, okay, we're, we're tracking with you, Jesus. Okay, you, you, we were just at a wedding, and so now you've taken us to tailoring. Okay, we're following you. I mean, and Jesus is like, okay, let me use another illustration. He says, He's, he's trying to say like, you know, in those days, by the way, clothes were really precious. So you didn't take your clothes down to goodwill. Uh, you, you like, you kept them in the family and you kept them for as long as possible. So if there's a tear and a rip, you're going to, you're going to uh, fix those. And, you know, apparently I'm not a tailor, but apparently like you don't want to take unshrunk cloth and put it on a cloth that's already shrunk because you, t- you t- make the effort to do it. And then you put it in the washer or the dryer and then it, and then it starts to tear. I mean, Jesus is trying to say like, hey, you guys, you Pharisees, you're operating kind of on this old, like this old system, this system that believes that it's just all about rule following. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to take what I'm saying and you're trying to like add that to that. And that, that won't work. Like I've come to bring something new. You have to, you have to, so on, you have to, you have to, it has to, it has to fit right. And what you're doing isn't, isn't fitting. And so they're listening to this and Jesus, at this point, I kind of feel like maybe some of their eyes were glazing over. Maybe like some of your eyes are glazing over right now. It's like, well, we're talking about cloth and, you know, and so I feel like Jesus at this point sees some eyes glazing. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to use an illustration that I know they're interested in. And so he goes on and he says, he says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Now, now he's got their attention. And they're like, oh, he's talking about wine. Okay, like, what'd you say, Jesus, you know? And Jesus, again, uses this really brilliant illustration. He says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. And both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. He says, no, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So wineskins, you know, in those days, I mean, it was either made out of, out of, out of like hide, like some sort of hide, or maybe even like it was kind of like, uh, kind of like a bladder from inside an animal, which sounds weird to us. But I mean, they would use this like elastic material because as we know about wine, it, it starts out, you put it in and then it ferments. And it's, you know, it takes some time to kind of do its thing. And so, you know, it's, there's this expansion that happens. And so Jesus is talking about something they, they know plenty about. He says, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. 
And they know what that means. If you put new wine in an old wineskin that's kind of like gotten brittle now, he goes, it's going to try to expand. And then the, whole, the, the, it's, the structure isn't, isn't good enough to hold it. It's going to break. And not only are you going to lose the wineskin, you're going to lose the wine. And the people are like, no, don't lose the wine. And so he's like, here's what you do. And everybody knows this. And he says, you got to take new wine and you put it in new wineskins, not old wineskins. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's, and he's helping them see that what they're doing is they've, they've got this misconception. They, they are thinking that what this whole thing is about is playing the Bible says and playing five card draw. They, they think that it's all just about kind of like following the rules. And Jesus says, says that's that what you, the, the kind of container that you have for your faith isn't, it's not, it's not robust enough. It's going to fail you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to crumble you. It's going to be, you're going to have a religion of performance, a performance narrative. And it's going to be all about how good you can perform. And Jesus knows that if that's kind of the holder that we're putting our faith in, then that, that's going to eat us alive. It's going to just cause us to crumble because we're just going to bump up against this thing that we know that we, we can't perform our way in. It's going to be so much pressure for us to perform. It's either going to crush us or we're going to become really good performers and good rule followers. And it's going to cause us to become arrogant and prideful in our own performance. Jesus knows that that structure is not going to hold what Jesus is trying to bring. He's trying to bring something New. Another thing about what they're trying to do is here's another thing we have to remember. In those days, in those days, and I put this up on the screen, in those days, gods were like apps, okay? Gods were like apps. Um, if you had a problem, there's a God for that, okay? So, like, if you needed, your, if you needed better crops, well, let's find the crop God crop God. Well, we'll worship the crop God. If you wanted to have a baby, well, we need to worship a fertility God. If we, you know, if we need to like be financially successful, we'll worship like the money God. And it's kind of like, there's an app for that. There's a God for that. So they just believed kind of like with five card, with five card stud is they thought, you know, like we've got our gods here. Um, and you know, we, we've, we've got, uh, you know, we've, we've got our God or, you know, they would say kind of like, um, you know, we've got, we've got, the Messiah, we've got Yahweh here, but then what we need to do is really what, it just, we just need rules. We'll just have more rules and we'll have more rules and that will make, like that will be enough. That will kind of be our God. But you know, that's maybe if we don't, if you don't relate to that, maybe, maybe this would relate to you because this is what we still do today. This is one of our biggest problems is what we think is that we think um, I've got my life here and you know what, but I like, I really want to be blessed. So you know what I'll do? I'll just add a little, I'll add like, like I'll, I'll pray to, you know, I'll pray to that Jesus over there. He'll help me. And then, but then if I want some, like, if I want some, some peace, you know, then I'll do a little Buddhist meditation over here. And, you know, and if I want like a little bit of this, then I'll, I'll do this. Or if I want to, you know, if I want to be uh, financially, um, you know, set up for life, then maybe just like a little greed over here, you know, will, will help me out along the way. Or, you know, um, like give to others. No, 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 no. You need to keep it for yourself. And we, we just, instead of just having it be Jesus, be the thing that defines who we are, sometimes we just feel like Jesus isn't enough. I need, I need this, I need this, and I, and I need this. And we just add these different things that we we worship, add these different things in our life that we think is going to make us whole, make us new. What Jesus is trying to say is he's trying to say, you can play that game, 
I mean, you can do that. But if you do that, if you, if you, if you just kind of like add me to your life instead of just letting me, instead of just letting me be the Lord of your life, because if you try to do that with me, here's what's gonna happen, is ultimately you're gonna miss me. You're gonna miss me. And so Jesus says, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. You can't, you can't do that. You can't take like this stuff over here and just think just adding some Jesus is just gonna make everything right. He goes, no, no, no. I wanna come and replace all of it. And I wanna come and I wanna bring something new, something better than all those things. The story goes on. And I'm not gonna read the little next part because I want you to read it on your own. But essentially what happens is Jesus gets into some conversations with the same people about following rules of the Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath was this, you know, it was, it was really important to the Israelites. It was this day where you, you know, you, you don't do any work. And there's all these rules around the Sabbath. But again, like everything else, the Pharisees had made rules about the rules about the rules. And so uh, Jesus, uh, there's these two instances that it talks about in there about Jesus and the disciples. Apparently they're not, they're not following the rules like the Pharisees think that they should be following the rules when it, in regards to the Sabbath. And so they get into like some verbal jujitsu about, about the Sabbath, you know? And Jesus is trying to like help them understand that, no, you guys are missing it. I mean, just like, just like you were missing it with the fasting and the wedding, he goes, you're missing it with the Sabbath. And I want you to read that on your own um, because it's really, really key. But then Jesus says something incredible in regards to the Sabbath, but it's in line with everything we've said tonight. And I think this is just, this is one of the things that I think that, that maybe you've missed, or maybe if you're new and you've pushed Christianity off for a long time, it's like, this has been like the peace that's been the thing that kept you away. Or maybe this, what Jesus is gonna say, this is the thing that you just so have to understand as you're having conversations with people who are interested in what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is about to say something. And when he says this, I mean, I, I, I wish, you know, I think if we were there, I think when Jesus says this thing, that there were audible gasps in the room. <gasps> like, people, like what he said is just, for them, it was, it was just, it was a paradigm shift. I mean, it was just a game changer, what Jesus is about to say. They're having all these conversations about Sabbath and how come you're not following the rules for the Sabbath and all of this stuff. And then in verse 27, Jesus says this, and then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I didn't hear any gasps in the room. I don't think we, let's try, let's try it again. Okay, let's try it again. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for humoring me. I mean, there would have been gasps because I mean, for them, I mean, the Sabbath was everything. It was like all about the Sabbath and we got to follow all the things with the Sabbath. And Jesus says, it's like, don't you guys understand that the, the Sabbath was made for man, not not man for the Sabbath. And I think this is where we often get tripped up and we start thinking that God is giving us commands just for his sake and not for our sake. That God is giving us these commands because he's got some rules that need followed. And so he just is gonna give us some rules and then whoever follows them the best, 
he loves the most. And this is where so many people just get, like, like if that's the system, then, ah, man, I don't know if I want that. It just sounds restrictive. It, restrictive. it just sounds like God's like just kind of out to control us. And I don't, I don't want to be controlled, you know? Like, I just, I don't like that. Especially people in Eugene, right? It's like, ah, I don't want that, you know? To put it in another, in another way that maybe might be helpful, and you can look on the screen, listen, Nobody has children so that somebody will play with the toys, right? Nobody has children, like nobody, no couple is sitting around saying, you know, we have a lot of toys, don't we? Yeah, sure, we do. We have lots of them. And like nobody's playing with them and we don't want the toys to get bored. I mean, so let's have some kids, right? Like nobody says that. Why? Because here's, here's what we know. We know that toys are for the children, not children for the toys, right? We know that. You don't get children to play with the toys because you have the toys. No, is you have children and therefore you, the toys are for the children. And what the Pharisees and what was so much often we think about religion is we think that God gave us some rules and that the, the rules are just like God's rules and that he loves his rules. Man, he loves his rules. And so therefore like we've just gotta, we've just gotta follow him. And there's all these misconceptions about that. And so people just push off and push off. But here's what we believe. We believe that God is good. Like he really is good. And not only do we believe that God's good, but we believe that he loves us. And so therefore, if he loves us, if, 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 if we're his kids, then that means that his, his commands that he gives us are good. It's because he loves us. It's not to control us. In other words, that God doesn't give us commands because he loves his commands. He gives us commands because he loves us, because he loves you. And when we're invited to follow Jesus, what most people think is that they're being invited to join some religion where there's a lot of rules. And let's just follow those rules and God will love us best. And Jesus is here to say. Jesus is making a paradigm shift with them. And it was huge for them and they couldn't even get it. In fact, after this, after these verses, I'm not gonna read it to you, but I mean, this was so groundbreaking that it says that they get to, these Pharisees, they get together and they huddle up and they say, how are we gonna murder this guy? I mean, they're not even saying like, how do we run him out of town? I mean, they're not even like, let's just rough him up a little bit. Like that's not even their conversation. They're like, how do we murder him? Because this was so huge. Jesus is saying, listen, What I am inviting you into, I'm not inviting into you into just a religious system where you're supposed to follow my rules. No, I've come to bring you something so much better. I've come to bring myself into your life and I wanna make all things new. I wanna trans transplant that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. I want to bring. I want. To, I want to transform you completely from the inside out. Not a religious transformation from the outside in. Follow some rules, and it hopefully it gets deep enough. No, I want to give you a new heart. That from that will will it will spread out, and it'll transform everything about you. 
in all the commands that I give, all the ways that I want to pull you out to be different, to be a new kind of person, all of those things are going to seem, some of those things are going to seem strange to the, to the world around you, to the, to the people that you know. Yes, following me is going to make you look different. But listen, if you follow me, you can trust me. And I'm going to actually not lead you into a place of, of being stifled by rules. No, I'm actually going to lead you to a place where there is freedom freedom. See, we think that freedom is going to come outside of authority. That's what we're taught to believe. That's what, that's what we believe, that if I'm going to be truly free, I have to be out from under authority. But the message of the kingdom is the exact opposite. It's when I put myself under God's authority because he loves me and he knows me best, there is where I find freedom. I hope, I hope if you're here and you just thought, I mean, maybe you just thought it's, this is, it's just all a bunch of rules. I just hope that that's helpful to you. I just want you to chew on that. Jesus has come to bring something so much better. If you're here and you've been following Jesus, but you know, th this is some of the things that your friends are struggling with. And it's like, how do I explain this? Then I hope I gave you some language. I hope I gave you some, some insight in just how, do, how can I communicate to my friends that, this, that, sure, I follow Jesus, but as following Jesus, it's not just me following rules. No, I'm following, a, I'm following Jesus Christ, and he has transformed my life. And therefore, like, I want to obey. I want to be under his authority because his ways are right and true. Band, will you guys come back up? And as the band is coming back up, I, want, I have just two applications, okay? I have a, like, a, like a church application for us of what I just talked about. And then I have a, a personal application, okay? So first, application for our church. When I was studying for this and I was thinking like, should I do something for Mark? And you know, maybe with two sermons left, like should I do like, you know, something else? I, I came across that, those verses about new wine and new wineskins. And I said, guys, I just thought in my heart like, this is what our church needs to hear right now. Like this is, the this is a beautiful verse for us. Because with, with the rices stepping out, things are gonna be different. I mean, it just always is. I mean, I'm, I'm always hoping that, our, like, that our, the core of who Westside is just stays vibrant and alive and potent. But whenever there's transition, like things change. But there's gonna be this tendency to try to take what was and then just try to take like the future and try to stuff it into what was, you know? And just like, oh, well, you know, this is, what, this is new and I don't know, this is new and I don't know, but I just feel like it's not, a, it's not a coincidence that we're bumping up against this with just two, you know, three weeks left with, with me being here. God wants to do something new. This is good. This is good. And so therefore, don't try to take new wine and shove it into old wineskins. This is a season for new wine and new wineskins, for God to do something new and different and amazing and glorious. So just hold on to that. God wants to make things new, new wineskins with new wine. I don't even know what that looks like, but I know that we, gotta, we wanna give him space to be able to do that in our midst. That's, that's the kind of the church application. The personal application is this, is um, simply, first of all, you are invited to follow Jesus. 
Remember Jesus went up to Levi? Levi, follow me. You're invited to follow Jesus. Jesus knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what's underneath everything. He knows exactly what's underneath the facade that we all kind of like to put in front of us. He knows you to the bottom. And just like he walked up to Levi, Jesus wants to walk right up to you, knowing everything about you. And he is extending you the same invitation. Follow me. And you know what Jesus would do too? He wouldn't just, just invite you to follow him. Is You know what he wants to do next? He wants to come, he wants to come over. He wants to come into your house. No, Jesus, not my house. My house is all messy right now. Like, no, things aren't put away. Like things, I've got a lot of things. I got a lot of issues. Like, no, Jesus, like, no. I thought religion was about like following the rules and like getting good. And then like, you'll love me. And then I'll invite you over. And Jesus is like, who taught you that? Not me. That's not what I'm into. I don't need you to get perfect first. He goes, I know I want you. I want you. I know you. And I know what your house looks like too. And I want to come over. I want to come over. Jesus is extending the invitation to follow. If you are already a follower of Jesus, then you're invited to surrender to Jesus. It's one thing to say, Lord, I want to follow you. And it's another thing to play that game where you're like, Jesus, I want to give you my life, but uh, I'm going to keep these things for me. Because these are, you know, it's kind of my things. But you can have these things. You know, can you just kind of replace these two things with like some good things? And, you know, and then, I'll, then I'll be set, you know, then I'll be good. Jesus, I'll give you my Sundays, but I'm not going to give you like my Monday through Saturday. Like that's mine. You know, Jesus, I'm going to give you like, I'm going to give you my, you know, I'm going to give you some of my prayers, but like, don't talk, like, but don't touch my money. No, it's my money. Jesus, you know, I'll give you like my Sundays, but don't talk to me about my relationships. You know, see, we love to play that game, even if we profess to be followers of Jesus. And the invitation to us is you don't have to play that game. Jesus is inviting you to not play that game anymore. What he wants us to do is just say, Lord, I trust you. I surrender. Just take my life. And in that trust, he wants to return to you something that you couldn't have ever conceived for yourself. He wants to, he wants to like actually make you, you. It's kind of a beautiful thing and it's counterintuitive, but he's inviting us, all of us, every single one of us into that. I'll pray for us and we'll respond. Father, we um, just want to respond tonight. And I pray, Lord, that just with these words, these incredible words, that gasps in the room, that you're trying to show us something new, that you want to actually like give us life, not take it away. And Lord, we want to, we want to repent from how we've pushed back because we just kind of want to own our own lives and and we want to just like know the rules so we can do them all so that we can kind of control our own fate. And Lord, I just, we say, I say, Lord, I am sorry. Like I, I want to just push that away from me so that I can grasp you. So I can grasp you. Thank you for the love that you give. Thank you that you didn't make us for your rules. Thank you that you made your rules for us because you love us because you know what's best. Lord, I pray that we would just sink our hearts into that tonight. Lord, and I pray that we would respond. We'd respond to you.